Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Glory Church Online. Glory family, it is so good to have you again. If you were with us last weekend at our worship night, thank you. Thank you for joining us, helping us set up. What a great night. I'm excited for the one that is to come, Uh, but this morning, it is so good to have you. If you are jumping in for the first time, my name is Greg McKinney, and my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and this is a good morning to join in. I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, I would love for you to actually share this service now. It's a strange time to share, I get it, but we are about to dive into a very practical message. So I don't know if you've ever shared uh, a service before, but if you are on Facebook, you can just go ahead and hit that share button. Invite your news feed, the people who follow you on Facebook, to join in. And if you're watching on our online portal, you can actually hit that share button and you can text the link out to a family member, a friend. This morning, Uh, We are getting very practical, but this is all about boundaries, healthy boundaries. If you have been with us, you know that this is week three of a series called Hope and My Home, and we have talked about this honest dialogue between our homes and the experience of hope, this anticipation that God is at work. So we've been having some honest look at our houses, our sanctuaries, our inner life, uh, who we are behind those four walls, uh, our inner beliefs maybe, patterns, habits. And my hope is that uh, you have already seen the way at which God is desiring for growth to invade our home. And this morning we are going to do so in yet again another way. Uh, But the past few weeks and the ones following as we dive into this series, we're talking about some maybe un easy topics, some hard topics that uh, are are stretching for our faith, maybe even demeaning to our faith in the past. And they're topics that maybe have been at work in us since childhood. And so if you were with us last week, we dove into this pattern of escapism, this avoidance tendency in us to run away from hard topics or hard truths or hard and unwanted experiences. And this habit can actually framework us and harden us from what God is doing in reality. So if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to check it out on the Glory podcast or on our website. You can tune in and listen. But for everyone else who is with it, my hope is that God has done some work this past week, reminding you of King David and uh, pressing you to be mindful, present in what he's doing, how he's teaching in the now. And this morning, I'm excited, where last week we talked about this negative trait, and we looked at King David to see what not to do, where this morning uh, we're diving into a positive trait, one that I am praying we all grow in, one that I'm praying our families are benefited from, our church is benefited from, our souls, our spouses, our our kids are benefited from this word. So if you're going to take notes, I encourage you to do so. I, I write it out, get, get some stuff down, and the word I want you to put at the top is the word different. Differentiation. Differentiation. Are you familiar with that word? It's, it's maybe a big word, maybe uncommon in the concept of relationships or the context of relationships, but this morning we're diving into differentiation. And it, a quick and easy definition for it is it is the ability to remain oneself 
while still engaging in relationships with one another. In other words, it is this practice of being both separate yet together. The practice that our marriages need of being both an individual yet also a couple. The practice that our church needs of being both the individual uh, body part of Christ yet also engaging as a whole. Operating together yet also separate. It's that practice of being both me and us. And it is hard. In fact, this deals with healthy boundaries in our relationships. And the struggle is, I don't know the family that you came from. But the family that we came from did a lot of groundwork to determine the boundaries that we have now. Whether it was a rigid set of boundaries, where there was very uh, forced walls that of what you can or cannot speak of, or what a, what a relationship looks like versus what it doesn't, and it was very rigid and firm, and maybe there was some neglect, or the opposite. Maybe the, the boundaries were more diffused, enmeshed, and you didn't know who was the parent at times. You, you didn't know what your emotional job was, uh, who, whose feelings were whose. And the interesting thing is that these boundaries, we either model and mirror, or we, like a pendulum swing, want to do the opposite. And so I don't know what your family of origin was like, but I do know that we all have some negative boundaries today that are either a response, a reaction, or a model of the boundaries we saw in our home. And it's interesting because these now shape all of our relationships, how we view God, how we view the church, how we view our spouse, how we view our friends, and we need this healthy me and us concept. We need this healthy understanding of me and us. And if you think you're excelling at this, odds are that you are kidding yourself. Marriages fail because of a lack of differentiation. People uh, experience neglect because of a lack of differentiation. Many churches, in fact, most churches suffer from a lack of differentiation, this blurred lines between boundaries and who we are and who we aren't. Many friendships are hurt by this lack of differentiation. So hopefully, my hope is that as we get into this, there will be some clarity on maybe your places of weakness as I also am going to be vulnerable in my places of weakness. But as we get into it, I actually want to do so in a, a lighthearted way. I have a little game for us. Yeah, it, it's okay. We're going to do a little TV show game or if you're listening on the podcast, you can still play along by listening. Um, but the, the interesting thing about this game because it's probably not going to be very fun, but it's going to be eye-opening. It's going to be enlightening because God is going to hopefully use this game. So um, I'm going to have one rule and one rule only. While you play this game, you have to be honest and brutally truthful with yourself. No idealism is a part of this game. In fact, we can sometimes play, uh, do, do some assessments or maybe spiritual gifts tests or personality tests or marriage tests. And we can answer with our ideal self, who we wish we were or who we are in our best days. But you cannot get an adequate, uh, adequate product from that. This game, this questionnaire we're going to play together, it's going to be based on who you really are. If you are like this one out of the seven days, then you're still like it. So the the name of this will be sort of telling. The name of our game, are you ready, is you know you need more differentiation when. 
And so the, the rules are simple. Be honest. And as we go about, you're going to hear 10 phrases. And I just want you to lift a finger for every 10, uh, every phrase that fits with you, every phrase that you can connect with. So are you ready? This is going to be so fun. I'm just kidding. It's not. But it will be hopefully enlightening. So the first one is this. You know you need more differentiation when you allow other people to dictate how you feel about yourself. I'm going to lift a finger for that one. Anyone else? You know you need more differentiation when, number two, when you feel responsible for other people's happiness. When you feel personally responsible. I'm adding another finger for that one as well. You know you need more differentiation when, number three, you, uh, when a disagreement in a relationship makes you run or either put up emotional walls between you and another, when a disagreement, whether it's big or small, your reaction is to run. You know you need uh, more differentiation. The next one, when you feel guilty about pursuing your goals or wants. Some of you feel guilty. You know you need more differentiation when guilt comes, when the topic goes on your passions or your desires. The next one, you know you need more differentiation when you struggle to connect deeply with others. When you struggle to connect deeply with another person, not just this friend basis, but to actually trust another, you know you need more differentiation. The next one, when the approval of others is highly desired by you. I fall into this sometimes. When the approval of others, when you seek their approval, their value, the value in their words is heightened. You know you need more differentiation. You know you need more differentiation when the next one, when you have a hard time speaking up about your opinions, your thoughts, your needs. Or the next one, when you become a different person toward your family that you, than you are in everyday life. And this could be your family of origin, your parents. This could be your spouse and your kids. When you are a different person, I've had that in my past, where I'm a different person to my, my parents than I am to everyone else, you know you need more differentiation. You know you need more when an opposing opinion spirals you down in anxiety or leads you to abandonment. When it, when it weighs upon you, when all you can think about is that person's opposing opinion, when it weighs on you, you know you need more differentiation. And sometimes I can be there. And the last one, when you do not know who you are apart from another person, apart from a spouse, apart from a parent, apart from a friend, when you have a hard time knowing who you are apart from them. You need more differentiation. So as I answered, I had five holding up. Now, if you have six, please hear me. This does not mean that you are worse than me. In fact, uh, you may have six or seven fingers up, but it's you deal with these sometimes, whereas you never know. I may deal with these all the time. And so this is not a gauge of whether you are worse or better than the people around you. This is just an honest gauge of where you are. Sound good? My hope in all of this is that we can own our weaknesses and seek growth in them. Because as we engage with the body, as we engage with our families, we will show and communicate our level of differentiation, and that's what we will teach to others. So you will teach the people around you how to be either uh, diffused or how to be rigid based on your actions. And so this is healing. There is healing that has to take place as we get into this. So just like last week, how we looked at what not to do in King David, we were actually going to look how to be differentiated, this positive trait. And we're going to look at it displayed 
in Jesus. And then you could say, oh, Jesus, but literally he is the best example of differentiation. His uncanny ability to be the same person in every context, in every interaction, Jesus is the same. He has this uncanny and beautiful ability to know confidently who he is and who he isn't and to make sure the boundaries in every relationship are set in a healthy way. In fact, as we get into this, uh, I am so excited because we will hopefully separate in our life three different contexts. In fact, the gospel writers do a really good job at segmenting Jesus's life into three different contexts. That he is with the crowd in times. The crowd is where he does miracles. The crowd is where he does his ministry. The crowd is where he, he walks and lives and operates. But then there's also the secondary context of his family, the disciples, those close-knit group, the people that he cries with, the people who have seen him bleed sweat, uh, or sweat blood, I guess is the way to say it, his family. And then there's this third context, the deserted place. That in fact, Luke writes in Luke 15 that Jesus would, uh, the, the news of Jesus spread everywhere and crowds would come to him. The disciples would be taught by him and it says, but he would often, he would often withdraw himself to a deserted place to pray. He would often withdraw himself to a deserted place and pray. And so these these three contexts. And as we get into this morning, I will tell you the avenue of growth for our differentiation will come from us claiming our deserted place. That is probably the whole in many of our things because my short time today, the goal is for you to not know everything to do to fix yourself. That's wrong. The goal today is for you to not know how to heal every wound. The goal for you today is to know the practice that Jesus displayed of getting alone in a deserted place with the Father so that when he was in the crowd, he knew the voice of the Father. So that when he was with the disciples, he knew the voice of the Father. And I believe we are with the crowd way too much. Maybe not physically with each other since uh, COVID, but we we are swarmed with the world whether it's through social media, whether it's through news outlets, whether it's through uh, gaming or movies, we are, we are full of the world. The crowd is all around us, our works, our workplaces, where we go and live and operate. And we are with our family, our friends, those close-knit people, glory church. But yet we struggle sometimes to be truly alone in the deserted place. And so my hope is that you see how Jesus did it, why he goes there. And in fact, we're going to open up to one specific time in scripture where John, the the writer John, clarifies that Jesus actually flees the crowd. He leaves the disciples and he goes and withdraws to this deserted place for a reason. In fact, as we get into this, I'm excited because you'll be able to see how people, the crowd, were trying to blur the lines between who Jesus was and who he wasn't. And Jesus knew, I need to leave. And this is hopefully going to be eye-opening for us. Jesus does a really good job at setting boundaries and relationships, and John's record gives us the most context to it. So open up this morning to John chapter 6, and it starts with this. Verse 1, that Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd kept following him. There's that crowd. Because they saw the signs and wonders that he was doing for the sick. And it says in verse 3 that Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down with his disciples. There's that second context, that second group. Odds are that he went up to teach. And verse 4 says, now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. 
And when Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where do we buy bread for these people to eat? Where are we going to get food? And it says that he said this to test Philip because he himself knew what he was going to do. And if you know this story, you know that what's about to happen is Jesus is going to take a little boy's lunch and divide it out and lift it up and from heaven make a little boy's lunch enough to feed thousands Thousands of people will be fed. Mark's version of this says that Jesus saw the crowds coming and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he feeds them. He tends to their needs. He takes care of them. And now every other translation or every other uh, record, all the other two that, that have this story in it, it's interesting, this story just ends at the feeding and then Jesus puts his disciples in the boat and he goes to a mountain to pray. But John is the only one who gives us this why. And so the story continues in verse 14. John writes that when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say to one another, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. This is him. And it says in verse 15, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now it's interesting. Jesus starts getting the, hearing this chit-chat. He starts being aware of some conversations that were going on, of some words, of some expectations that were being placed upon him, that he was maybe going to be this Messiah that now under his rule they could leave behind Romans. Uh, we, we have no idea, but what we do see is that Jesus is starting to, to infer from these people that they are getting very antsy and are going to take him by force. So he withdraws. John is the only one to tell us this, and this instance is odd. Because this is not the first time for people to make false claims about who Jesus was. Uh, it's not the first time for people to make wrong, uh, wrong expectations upon him, but this is his first time to withdraw and pray and this is eye-opening. In fact, many of the commentaries that I read, many of the theologians uh, have connected what is going on, the words spoken by the crowd, and have connected it to the words spoken by the enemy in the wilderness when Jesus was, was tempted. Do you remember that, that time, that, that story in Luke 4 where Jesus is fasting for 40 days and then the enemy literally comes and tempts him three times? People have made a correlation, theologians have made a correlation between what, what the enemy was speaking to Jesus and what the crowds were speaking. In fact, if you remember, he was hungry and so the enemy said, make yourself bread, feed your belly. If you are really the Lord, do it. And Jesus responds, man shall not live on bread alone, but the word of God. And then he takes him and says, I have been given all authority to roam wherever I please. And Jesus, if you bow to me, if you bow down and worship me, I will hand over all of the authority to you. And Jesus says, no one, a man shall not uh, have any other gods except for the one true God. And then he takes him to a highest mountain and says, if you are really who you say you are, then plunge yourself off and an angel will save you. And uh, Jesus says, we're not to test God again and again. These are pushes, are points, are prods at Jesus's identity, at who he believes him to be and who the world is or what God has promised him and what his role is. His role is to be king and it's not going to be handed by the enemy. His role is to be king and it's not going to be handed to him by the people. It's going to be handed to him by God himself. 
Now, this is very interesting to look at because I believe that Jesus knew that the, the lines between the crowd and him were getting blurry that their expectations were, were getting to a place of temptation. They were hitting on the past temptation of the enemy, and they began to value Jesus by what he could bring instead of valuing him for who he was. They began to think that they themselves could call him king instead of him just being king because that is who he is. He starts realizing this uh, identity threat, and he withdraws to get alone. Now, as we uh, get into this, I just want to go ahead and pause and ask you this question. Are you that quick to recognizing when your identity is being questioned? When your identity is being questioned by the crowd around you? Are you that quick to recognizing when social media begins putting on expectations on how you should act and you begin blurring the lines between your relationship with the crowd? Do you begin to, to realize that quick when your identity is being questioned in your family, when they begin asking you and asking of you things that are not fitting with who you are, or when you feel pressured that, that, that you must do in order to achieve, you must do in order to be loved, are you quick to realizing those, uh, those hits, knocks at your identity? But Jesus does. He is. He's quick to realizing it. So he withdraws to a mountain. Now get this. This is the same mountain that he was just in. He goes back to the mountain, John says. He withdraws back to the mountain to pray. And in fact, I I said what Mark had mentioned. I said it before because I need you to remember this is the mountain where Jesus saw crowds coming and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he knew, I am the good shepherd. You better believe that on this mountain, as Jesus is going to the deserted place, he can reinstate in his mind, in his soul, who he is apart from them. I am a shepherd, and they are my sheep, and who they are apart from him. They are my sheep, and I am a shepherd. They do not know what they are doing. They do not know what they even want. They are living lies and believing lies. They think the Messiah will be their ticket away from Rome, but that's not who I am, and I will not play a role in that. That's not my job. I will not be tricked into believing that they can hand me kingship. You see, what Jesus does in deserted places is to be with the Father and get this renewal of what is true and what isn't. And I think this is something we need because Jesus shows us something powerful. Every time he engages with the crowd, every time he engages with the disciples, he shows us that he will not, that it is not his job even to play a role in their lives, in the lies that are going on, but instead it's his job to lead them out of lies. And again and again, we see that with him in, in, his engage, in how he engages with the crowd. We see that in how he engages with the family, his disciples. And I would say we need this as well, that it's not your job to play a role in the lies that the enemy is speaking through the crowd. That it's not your job to play a role in the false beliefs of your family. It is your job, by God's grace, to lead them out of it, to lead them away from lies into truth. And as we get into this, if differentiation is to be growing in us, in our church, in our lives, in our marriages, then we have to answer again over and over a few things. we got to process through these lies. So I'll ask you, who is the crowd? for you. Who is the crowd for you? 
Maybe it's your place of ministry. Maybe it's the the roads that you walk up and down, the people that you pass. Who is the crowd for you? Maybe it's the following you have come to create on social media. Maybe the crowd is the, the news outlet that you constantly feed yourself with. Who is the crowd? And now the question is, what lies are being spoken by the crowd or by the enemy about the crowd that are beginning to question your own identity or asking more from you? What are the lies of the expectations that have been placed upon you? That maybe that your value is in X, Y, Z, or that if you worked harder or did more or showed up more or tried up more, that you would be more loved. What are the lies spoken by the crowd? And how maybe uh, are they setting up false expectations and hurting your view of you? Maybe you need to flee from some situations. Maybe you need to put down your phone more. Maybe you need to speak no to people. There are times when Jesus literally said no to the crowd, and I think that we need to get that practice as well. But another question, who is the family? For you, who is your family? Yes, it's us, Glory Church, but I need you to actually get into the people at work in your family. Maybe it's your spouse, it's your, your friends, it's your family of origin, it's your kids, it's your, uh, maybe your in-laws. Who is your family? And I will ask, what are the lies being spoken there? What are the false beliefs that you keep playing a role in? What are the, the, maybe the insecurities that the enemy is pressing in on in your family, in your marriage? What are the things that are, the boundaries that have been blurred lately? How have they been hurting your view of yourself. It's powerful. One of the things we constantly see in Jesus is his ability to be with the disciples in their process. Literally, they, they denied him over and over. They had this lack of belief, yet Jesus was constantly present with them. He did not enable their unbelief, but he also did not run because of it, because of a, a confusion or a difference of opinion or literally because of Peter's denial. Jesus doesn't run, and we quickly do that with the family. You cannot run from the church. We we must, we can't enable sin in the church, but also playing a role in the lie is sometimes retreating into our own corner or sometimes putting up walls where God is trying to unite. If we are to celebrate diversity in the family, then we constantly have to be with each other in our process and just be ourselves in the process. What my wife needs is not me to play a role in her unhealthy beliefs. And what I need is not for her to play a role in my unhealthy beliefs. I need her to be her, because that's how God is going to transform me, is as we iron sharpen iron, uh, we become who God has called us to be. And so we've got to stop enabling lies in our family. We've got to stop uh, being quiet about them. And we have to push in. We have to clarify our job, right? It's not my job to play a role in the lies. One thing that Kate and I have been practicing in this season is using the phrase, the story I am believing. And so this will help differentiation in friendships. This is a hard topic. This is when, when Jesus comes and is brutally honest with his, his disciples. And it's like, uh, Kate, the, the story that I'm believing is that when you talk to me with this tone, I feel demeaned. I feel less than. And the reason is because it reminds me of my childhood when I got overlooked or when I got hurt or when I got un, like when I felt unloved and unvalued by the tone people were using. And the story that I'm believing 
is that when you speak that way, that's how you feel. Now, what happens is I'm able to separate truth from lies because she then responds. And this is something we have to do with the family because the family deserves to know the lies that you are allowing them to play in and they need to know that, that you are stronger or different or more loving than the lies that they are believing. Does that make sense? We have to engage with truth. Jesus always walked to the crowd listening to the words of the Father, and Jesus always lived with the disciples listening to the words of the Father, and often he would bring them in on the words of the Father. They would pray together. They would break bread together. They would cry together. You see, often when our roles are blurred, whether we're in the crowd or the family, when our roles are blurred, so too is our vision our vision, and you know that, that where the people do not have vision, they perish, and we may be perishing a lot in the crowd, or maybe overlooking our truth in our gifts in the family because we've allowed lines, boundaries to blur, and therefore our vision has as well. So I will ask, where is your deserted place? Where's the place that you need to start fleeing to? the place that reminds you of who you are versus who they are, that, that, that God can, can meet you in and speak truth over you where you can separate. This is me and this is them. And I will not engage in that anymore. I, I'm going to be who you've called me to be. So that when you are in the crowd, you can hear the voice of the Father. So that when you are with the family, you can too. And I love how this story ends. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but this beautiful story comes full circle. So Jesus is up on the mountain gaining clarity because right when lines are blurred, your vision is blurred. And so he knows that and he's not going to let his vision be blurred. He goes up to the mountain and on this mountain, the story keeps going. The disciples get into the boat like we read in all the other accounts and they go across the sea and on this mountainside, Jesus can clearly see a storm coming. And what we know from the other accounts, Mark's gospel and, and Matthew's and Luke's, is that a storm comes and this is a defining moment for the disciples because Jesus is not with them. And they begin to be bombarded with fear and doubt and their boat is shaky and we see Jesus with clarity walk on water to them. He's not going to play a role in their lives that, that he, he is, is this way or isn't that way. He's now segmented and separated that this is who my disciples are. They are like sheep without a shepherd and I am the shepherd. And so he walks on water to them and they believe he's a ghost, but he's not going to play that role. And he says, peace, be still. And the waves go silent. You see, the beautiful thing is that Jesus gains clarity on that mountain so that he can give clarity in the storm. And this is the beautiful thing that we operate with as people, children of God. We are to gain clarity and differentiation of who we are and who we aren't, of how we are to engage with others and how we are to not. We are to gain clarity so that we can give clarity because people are in storms. Our church will be in storms at time, and we need to fight for clarity. Not fight with each other. We got to fight for clarity. Clarity comes when I hear the voice of the Father speak over who I am and who I'm not, and when I fight for unity in that. When I see the value of us as I also strive to be who God speaks me to be. 
This is what our families need. This is what our children need. This is what our church needs. Our city is a clarity that gives clarity. This is what Jesus shows, and this is what I'm praying over us. As we conclude this morning, I'm going to pray over us, really, for this clarity. I'm going to pray that, that as I speak, God will give you an, a, an idea, a memory of a deserted place in your past that maybe you can start implementing into your now. So as we pray together, I just invite you to be vulnerable and open because the Father is here. So God as, God, as we are with our family, as we are with the family, I pray that you show yourself true and genuine, that you are here and may you give clarity and eye-opening experience to how we have been playing a role in lies, whether it's the lies that we ourselves believe, the lies that the enemy is speaking, or the literal lies spoken by those around us. Allow us to hear your voice when we're with the family. Allow us to hear your voice when we're with the crowd. And God, remind us to flee when necessary. Give us the discernment, the wisdom to notice when lines are being blurred, when boundaries are being crossed, that we may withdraw to a deserted place and gain clarity because, God, we are to be people of clarity. We're going to be people who see you, who see clearly how to operate, to know with all uh, honesty and integrity who we are, and, God, to engage in unity with your body. So, God, I just pray that over. May we remember moments where we withdrew to a deserted place and you spoke so that we can keep doing that now. God, I pray for differentiation over our marriages, that we can begin to honor each other, honor the couple as we realize and recognize who we are as individuals. God, I pray for differentiation in families. I pray for differentiation in, in adult kids and their their parents. I pray for differentiation in our church, that we may be our individual selves, united fully to the full body, the fullness of you, who fills all things in all ways. May we not run. May we not enable. May we not disengage. May we not create false walls. But instead, God, let us hear from you and respond with clarity. In your name, for your glory, we pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.